for Tuesday, March 16th, 2021. This is, did you wash your hands? We're a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, the Biden administration's COVID-19 relief plan does a lot to fulfill his campaign promise to strengthen the Affordable Care Act. I would call this a pretty big down payment. There's a lot more in here than I expected them to get in. Julie Rovner, chief Washington correspondent for Kaiser Health News, joins me for a look at what the American Rescue Plan will mean for Obamacare. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. The Biden administration's COVID-19 stimulus package makes some major changes to the Affordable Care Act that aim to make coverage more affordable. There are also incentives for states like Georgia to finally expand Medicaid, as laid out under the ACA. Julie Rovner is chief Washington correspondent for Kaiser Health News. She's with me now to discuss what the American Rescue Plan will do to strengthen the ACA. Julie, thanks for talking with me. Of course. The American Rescue Plan does some pretty big things for the Affordable Care Act, and I want to kind of break those down piece by piece. Talk to me first about what this piece of legislation is going to mean for subsidies. There are some big changes to the subsidies that people get for buying Obamacare health insurance. Walk me through them. That's right. This is the first major expansion of benefits under the Affordable Care Act since it passed almost exactly 11 years ago. And Just about everybody will pay less for their uh, Obamacare plans going forward. It only lasts for two years. It's for 2021 and 2022. These changes will be particularly helpful, though, for people at the higher end of the income scale and the lower end of the income scale. Um, Right now, there's something that's called the cliff, where if you earn more than four times poverty, which is a little over $50,000 for an individual, you go from getting help paying your premiums to getting nothing. So now what Congress has done is said that nobody should have to pay more than eight and a half percent of their income on premiums. What that means for somebody at that 400 percent of poverty level is it could cut premiums in half. People who would be paying a thousand dollars a month, particularly if you're older, um, because premiums go up as you age, you might now only be paying five or six hundred dollars for the same plan. So it's a big help for people who are just over that threshold. And for people who are under about one and a half times poverty, that's about nineteen thousand dollars for an individual. Under this uh, act, you'll basically have access to a plan for zero premium, a mid-level plan, a 
Silver Plan. Plus, there's help uh, all the way through for people with the other out-of-pocket costs. It's not just premiums, remember. You have to pay deductibles and co-payments and co-insurance, and there'll be more help with that also. So basically, almost everybody who buys on the, uh, under the Affordable Care Act will be able to get more care and pay less for it. This additional help will sunset at some point, right? This isn't around forever. That's right. It's just for two years, just this year. And and a reminder that there is now a a new open enrollment that goes through May. So if you are uninsured, you are likely eligible for help. uh, And you can go to the uh, Affordable Care Act website and you can find what you need and probably not pay very much for it. One estimate from the federal government says that 80% of people who are eligible can find a plan for $10 a month or less. Well, and and I wanted to ask about that because, of course, we are in this special enrollment period the Biden administration opened up because of the pandemic. So if I sign on today looking for a plan, will I get that help immediately or does it take some time for it to kick in? It may take until April. It probably will take until the beginning of April for that to kick in. If you've already signed up, you will eventually get this help, but it's not clear um, when you will get it. You may get it all back in a tax refund next year. They're still sort of working out how to implement it for people who are already enrolled or people who are about to enroll. But you will get it. Uh, It's just a matter of when and how. So looking at the calendar, um, two years from now is an election year. So what are the implications of this additional help expiring in an election year? It seems like healthcare is going to be front and center again in two years. It certainly will. This is a, a a game that Congress has been playing for a while. Republicans have done it, too, with tax cuts. They've made them temporary and sort of dared Democrats to take them away. Now, Democrats are doing the opposite. They're making these benefit enhancements, and they're going to dare Republicans to take them away right before the next election. So it's basically setting up another political fight, and, you know, and we'll see how they work out. Um, but certainly the more people who sign up and get this help, it's going to be harder for lawmakers to take them away. On the other hand, we've seen this, you know, over and over again with the Children's Health Insurance Program, which was not permanently authorized. And every time it came up for renewal, there would be a big fight. And once or twice it lapsed, at least for a few months. So it can get messy, but we will definitely see this fought over again in two years. And I want to ask, too, what these provisions could mean for insurers, because, you know, certainly we think of individuals buying plans, but they're not the only participants in this marketplace. You have people offering coverage. So are there some ways that this is going to be good for insurers to have more people signing up? We were already seeing insurers come back to this market. The market obviously started out with some difficulties, and a lot of insurers just dropped out. They thought they couldn't make any money in it. And the market has kind of stabilized at a lower than expected level for a whole variety of reasons we won't get into, but at at around 10 million people. And insurers sort of figured out how they could make money at that. And we're seeing some of the large insurers, like United, coming back into the market in a lot of states. So that was happening prior to this. Now, that more people are going to get more help, so one would expect there to be more people in the market, I think we're going to see more insurers coming back. Of course, the more progressives, the supporters of Medicare for All, are unhappy because they see the federal government spending a lot of money and it's going into the pockets of insurance companies. Another part of the American Rescue Plan that is potentially could be impactful here in Georgia, maybe, is this set of enticements for states like Georgia, the 12 holdout states that have yet to fully expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. There's a pretty substantial pot of money for these states in this bill, yeah? 
There is. I mean, there had been a lot of talk about how to encourage these dozen states to actually come into the fold and expand Medicaid to people, low-income people in their states who do not meet other eligibility categories and that they're not children or pregnant women or elderly or people with disabilities. And in the first three years when Congress first did this, the federal government paid the entire amount and then it sort of scaled down. The federal government is still paying 90% for this category of people, which is much more than they pay for other categories in Medicaid. There was some talk about maybe they would just start the clock over again. If these states wanted to come in, they'd pay 100% for three years, but they actually decided to do something else. So in this law, if states that are holding out come in, they will get a 5% boost in the federal amount that's paid for everybody else in Medicaid. So they would still get the 90% for the expansion group, but if they're getting 70% for everyone else in Medicaid, they'd get 75%. Again, it's temporary. It's just for two years. And it's unclear whether that's going to be enough to get particularly the bigger states that still haven't joined. And those bigger states include Georgia, Texas and Georgia and Florida are the three biggest states that haven't done this. Is that 5% boost enough? It's a lot of money, but there's a lot of people who don't think so. And the issue in Georgia seems to be ideological opposition, not necessarily leaving money on the table. I actually found a, an estimate done by the Center for Budget and Policy Priorities think tank. They say Georgia's potentially leaving about $1.8 billion on the table by not accepting this. So certainly here, it, it, it seems like money has not been the issue in the past. <laughs> Well, I will say that money has not been the issue in most of the holdout states, and yet many of them have come along in recent years, several of them by uh, voter referendum. I mean, that the voters have uh, have voted to expand. But yes, I would, I definitely agree. I think in the dozen remaining states, it is much more a question of ideology than money, although sometimes money can play a role. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? I'm Sam Whitehead talking today with Julie Rovner. She's chief Washington correspondent for Kaiser Health News. We're discussing what President Biden's COVID-19 relief plan will mean for the Affordable Care Act. There also is a provision in here that I understand it affects uh, maternal Medicaid coverage. Can you tell me about that? That's right. Right now, pregnant women are eligible for Medicaid. That's a federal requirement. And after they give birth, they remain eligible, but in most cases only for two months. And we know from maternal mortality statistics that a lot of maternal mortality happens after that two months. It's obviously very difficult to to be a new mom and to have an infant and health problems that can crop up don't necessarily crop up in the first 60 days. So what this law does is it gives states the option. It doesn't require it, but it gives them the option to keep women who are on Medicaid based on their pregnancy, keep that coverage for up to a year rather than the current 60 days. This law also changes the way that COBRA works. This is health insurance that someone can buy when they leave a job. Um, What does the American Rescue Plan do for COBRA? That's right. Now, COBRA, which goes back to 1986, was also enacted as part of a budget reconciliation bill. It's actually named for that budget reconciliation bill, which the American Rescue Plan is also. COBRA allows people uh, who lose their employer coverage pretty much for any reason to continue it as long as they pay the entire premium themselves, plus a small administrative fee. It can be really expensive because employer insurance is usually pretty generous and also very expensive. So suddenly, you know, you go from paying your share to paying the entire premium and it can be hundreds, if not thousands of dollars a month. But because so many people 
currently have been laid off or have had their hours cut and do expect to go back to work when the economy gets better, this would allow these people to maintain their employer coverage and the federal government would pay their entire COBRA premium through September. So it's a very short term benefit. It only goes for six months. And I've talked to some experts who point out that if you do this, when that, uh, usually when your COBRA expires, you get an open enrollment to buy uh, coverage on the Affordable Care Act marketplace, but that wouldn't necessarily happen with this. If the federal full subsidy runs out in September, but you still have COBRA eligibility, you'll be stuck having to pay your entire COBRA premium until the next open enrollment for the Affordable Care Act. So that's at least something to think about. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it's not like you would automatically qualify to enroll. That's right. Which you are now. If you take COBRA and your COBRA expires, you get an automatic uh, eligibility period where you can sign up for an Affordable Care Act plan. That will not necessarily be the case. And so, you know, I want to pull out a little bit because, you know, we've been talking about different aspects of this, but really this is, you know, the Biden administration in their first piece of legislation out of the gate doing a lot of stuff on health care. I mean, how does this fit into Biden's promise to shore up the ACA, something he ran very strongly on? Um, Is this all of that? Is this the first step? I would call this a pretty big down payment. There's a lot more in here than I expected them to get in. I think they really learned from the last war, if you will. When they were doing the Affordable Care Act, President Obama really wanted Republican buy-in. There were months where reporters stood outside these uh, endless talks with Max Baucus, the then chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, and, and a number of Republicans, of more moderate Republicans, who they really thought they could get. And in the end, they couldn't. And they basically wasted six months. And I think the people who are working for President Biden, many of whom worked for President Obama and were there, decided we're going to get this through. We know we can get this through. We know that things can change. And so we're just going to kind of get as much as we can right now in case we can't get any more later. And that was their operating theory. And they did it. Biden also ran on the idea of a public option. Uh, Can we expect that conversation to come down the road and maybe other health care priorities that, that he ran on? That's going to be really hard in a 50-50 Senate when, you know, you've got three or four pretty moderate Democrats who are unlikely to want to support a full-fledged public option. But I think we'll certainly see more discussion of it. You know, I'll be interested to see what else they can get on health care. I think they might pivot at this point to prices. I think there's a lot more consensus among Democrats and even some Republicans on things like prescription drug prices um, and sort of other price issues. I, you know, it's pretty clear right now that they do not have the votes for a full public option. And I'm not sure they have the votes in the House for a public option. There's a lot of moderate Democrats over there who might not want to vote for this. And remember, they have a very narrow majority in the House just because it's not 50-50. They have also only a handful of Democratic votes to spare. So unless they can find Republicans, that's going to be a pretty big push going forward. Well, and thinking about that kind of narrow majority, I mean, what can we make of the fact that the American Rescue Plan, you know, that this was a budget reconciliation bill, this, this, you know, wasn't necessarily your kind of normal path for legislating, but there are included in it all these health care provisions. I mean, can we say that these health care provisions wouldn't have been broadly popular enough to, to kind of go the non-budget reconciliation route? These health care provisions are broadly popular. I mean, that's pretty clear from all of the polls uh, about this legislation. But it's, you know, finding 10 Republicans in this very polarized 
political situation that we have right now would be really hard. I mean, look at what happened just going into the 2020 election on prescription drug prices, also extremely popular. There were a number of bipartisan bills and they and the President Trump was for it and they still couldn't get anything passed. It's really hard to get things through Congress as it is currently configured with how polarized the parties are. And, you know, I want to pull out even more, you know, because here we are, you mentioned earlier, we're about to hit the uh, Affordable Care Act's 11th birthday. So what can we make of the staying power of this piece of legislation? It's, it's already survived a number of Republican efforts to overturn it. And here we have the Biden administration doing all this work to shore it up even more. What does this mean for the, for the future of the law? I mean, is it, is it here to stay? Does it get more popular over time? What, what, what happens? Well, the Affordable Care Act has certainly had any number of near-death experiences. And we should point out that it's still facing one right now. The Supreme Court has before it uh, a lawsuit that asked that the entire law be overturned. Based on the oral arguments that were last November, uh, most scholars expect that won't happen, that even this conservative Supreme Court will uphold the law again for the third time uh, since it was passed in 2010. But we don't know that yet. We haven't seen a decision. It could come any time or it could come as late as the end of June, the beginning of July. So, you know, the the Affordable Care Act keeps defying gravity and uh, continuing since the new open enrollment started. There have been, I think, almost a quarter of a million of people who have signed up. That was that's unexpectedly high. So, you know, is it this gigantic, huge success and everybody's in it? No. But is it filling a real need? Yes. Well, and wasn't there, um, I feel like I certainly heard talk down here in Georgia with our two Senate races about, you know, there being a, a quick legislative fix to the law that would potentially help it kind of sidestep any ruling from the Supreme Court. Why, why haven't we seen that? Uh, again, because you would need 60 votes. It was not something that they could do. In fact, if it was something they could do in reconciliation, we wouldn't have this Supreme Court case, which I will not get into. Um, but one would expect that if the Supreme Court were to somehow strike down the law, that might happen really fast. I'm not sure Republicans really want to deal with having the Affordable Care Act uh, fully repealed with nothing to replace it. That could get really dicey really fast. How much do you think the pandemic has been a great opportunity for Democrats to shore up this law that provides people health coverage? I mean, what a reminder of of the value of being able to go see a doctor. I think everybody has seen that um, had this crisis, this level of crisis occurred prior to the Affordable Care Act, when there was no place for people who were suddenly jobless to go to get health insurance, that many, many more people would have become uninsured. I mean, it's acting as a really important safety net, as is the expanded Medicaid, to help people sort of not sort of fall off the abyss, if you will, because they've lost their jobs and their health insurance with their jobs. Julie Rovner is Chief Washington Correspondent for Kaiser Health News. Did You Wash Your Hands? is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's Managing Editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is Chief Content Officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. It's also where you can leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening.
you donated to WAB yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wab.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.